Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody, the podcast to help those who listen feel more loved and connected through story sharing. My name is Aaron Mashbitz, and my mission is to help you realize your potential and capabilities through conversations and deep insights, so you can make your prior best your new baseline. Tommy Hawthorne joins the podcast this week, and Tommy is the owner and CEO of Boardwalk Recovery Center in San Diego, California. And in this conversation, we talk about Tommy's personal addiction and recovery story. We talk about current mental health trends, and Tommy gives his opinion on the statement, addiction is a choice. And in other news, this podcast is brought to you by Amare. Amare is the mental wellness company, and I use their products every single day. So hit the link in the show notes, scroll through all their products, see which ones might work best for you and your health journey. And then once you get to checkout, use code EVERYBODY for $10 off your entire order. Now, on to episode 186 of Something for Everybody. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashvitz. Tommy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Before we dive right into all the meat and bones, I have one very important question to ask you, and that is, um, how are you doing? Like, actually, how are you doing? That's that's a good question, actually. I actually don't tell people oh, I'm good. Uh, I'm. I've been struggling pretty bad for the better part of a year. And um, thank God I have a lot of support around me and a lot of mentors and uh, a tight support group that we can uh, lean on each other. Um, But yeah, I've been struggling for about a year now. Got a lot of challenges in my life. Uh, It feels like my life is kind of like whack-a-mole. Every area, you know, of my life just seems to pop up and down and uh, putting out fires in, in most areas of my life got a couple areas in my life that are amazing and so really highlight those but all in all man I life is amazing I've never had it so good but it is extremely challenging and um and the reality is I've been I've been struggling for the past year or so thank you for asking yeah may may I ask specifically what those what those struggles are if you're willing to share sure yeah, uh, I have a lot of fears around uh, a lot of my um, fears and concerns and stressors uh, around a lot of my business activities. They're all it's always something. Uh, so that's one area of my life that is constantly a challenge, whether it's employees or clients or, you know, some, you know, some sort of drama related to one of the companies. Um I have another area of my life where I have a lot of death. Uh, we just had um, one of my closest buddies uh, pass away uh, I guess it would be about a month ago, month today. I think it was the 20th or 23rd of last month, one of my closest buddies. I officiated his wedding. Um, you know, just a, a very close family friend passed away from um, what we're assuming is a heroin, heroin overdose, probably fentanyl related. So, uh, a lot of death in my life. Um, so that's a, a serious, um, area of my life that is ongoing, never stops. 
in my 19 years of sobriety, um, several hundred of our people have passed away in my community. Many of them have been on my in my inner circle. Uh, my very first sponsor is gone. Uh, so death is a big deal. And so that always um, has a dark place in my heart, weighs you down a little bit. My marriage is amazing. I have amazing kids. My recovery is amazing. So those are areas of my life that I really hang on to and embrace and pour into. Um, a lot of a lot of people, just an observation, tell your listeners and viewers not to assassinate, you know, not to come after me for my comments, uh, just an observation. When people are in dark spaces, that's all they focus on a lot of times. And I have, and it's just an observation, I have, a, I have some, some dark areas of my life, but instead I, I choose to really focus on the amazing things, whatever they are, whether they're small, <clears throat> excuse me, whether they're, they're, they're minor uh, areas of light or they're big areas of light, I have to focus uh, any attention I possibly can on those. You know, and so that's that's what I do, um, as opposed to really focusing on on the dark areas of my life. Even if it's just I have this one positive friend in my life, focus on that. I have one solid person in my life, but I am fortunate. I do have a lot of really good things in my life, uh, and it really kind of equals out uh, the stressors. Yeah. Yeah, it's like taking a, it's taking a moment to just try and zoom out a little bit, you know, and just try to gain a little bit of perspective. And I know when you're when you're seriously deep in the trenches and like nothing is even coming close to going right, that's really hard. Like everything is just fucking piling on top of you over and over and over and over and over again. You're like, what the? I, there's no way. Like, but you can yeah. you can deliberately for just a second zoom out a little bit and be like, okay, like there's still breath. There's yeah. this one person yesterday who held the door open for me. That was nice. Maybe I can build off of that. And it's like those little micro moments, you know, people think they have to be this gigantic thing. Like, yeah, my buddy threw me the greatest 25th birthday party of all time. My life's awesome. Now, yeah, maybe that's true, but like, it's not really that. It's like this, like this, you right now, just simply enjoying that cigar. That's a moment yeah. of, of light in your life. Yeah. Right. And so I think at least for me, that's been important when I was in the trenches to sort of try and see this, like this, those tiny little micro moments that are like, that seem like throwaway, mundane. but yeah, you know, yeah. Mundane, but, but they're yeah. not, they're not, you know, they're not at all. They're really worth gripping onto. They're really worth embracing. I have a lot of guys <clears throat> in any of my treatment centers that appear to really be in the muck of life. And we try to give them little glimmers of hope, little flashes of perspective, you know, your parents, your sister, you talked about yesterday, not, not you, but a client I'm here for my sister. Okay. So then you have something to hang on to. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You have something to hang on to. You have, you have light. Let's focus on your, this, let's focus on that. 
it's intentional perspective. It's, it's tricky. It's tricky, but it really, it really helps a lot. Yeah. And you mentioned death. I, I think about, I think about death like, quite often, you know, sometimes in a, in like a sad way. Um, but mostly in like a, in like a regret way, like where would my, if I'm taking my last few breaths, it's like, what am I going to regret the most? Like, what have I left on the table? Cause I think, you know, one of my biggest fears, if not my biggest fear is, uh, not living up to my potential. And you really start to think about that when people in your life die sooner than you expected them to. And you're like, Oh, what if that's me? Or, you know, yeah. So how do you think about death now in yourself or the your family or with all the people that you've lost and the job that you do and all of that stuff? Yeah. So I, I, I have kind of two perspectives on that. One, it, when it's the friends in our community and things like that, I, it's pretty natural to ask yourself if you have done everything that you can. Did I do everything I could when my last friend Ian passed away? Did I do everything I could? Um, so that's one thing that I internalize, um, and, and it really kind of encourages me to be thoughtful, be mindful of my encounters with my friends. Have I loved them? Have I told them that I love them? Hmm. You know, have I really, <clears throat> have I really poured into them to the best of my ability? The other is if I pass, if I pass. If I pass, I want my wife, I want my kids, I want everybody close to me to know for a fact that I, I told them how much I love them, especially in my family and my parents. And so I have to go out of my way. Every time there's a death, I call my kid, my oldest, my, my youngest, he's 15, but he, he gets it. But I call my oldest because she lives out of state now. And I tell my oldest, hey, Ian passed away, made me think of you. He didn't know he was doing fentanyl. I want to just, you know, put that in your head, you know, be careful out there, you know. And I remind her how much I love her and how much she means to me. And I do the same with my wife. I do the same with my son. My son, you probably remember being a teenage boy, you know, mm. you're like kind of half retarded, you know, you're like, you're just like, a, you're like a nine month old great Dane. You can barely walk and run and you're like, <laughs> you know, so my 15 year old's kind of like that. You know, almost everything he says is like, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> so I tell him constantly throughout the day while he's at school, I'll shoot him a text. How's your day, son? Just want to remind you. I love you. Now when we're in person, He's in his bedroom playing video games, doing whatever he's doing. I come in there, shake his leg and say, Hey man, just want to remind you. I love you. Love you. Sometimes I remind him, I tell him, son, when you get older, you, I want you to remember how often I told you, how often your pop told you that he loves you. Hmm. You know, my pop, my pop has probably told me he loves me maybe twice in my 50 years of life. My, my pop 
that's just not how he communicated. He mm. never, he didn't, he didn't tell you, he didn't say, Hey, I love you kid. And that would have meant the world to me knowing how much that would have meant to me. I do that with my son. I always want my son, especially if anything were to happen to me, I would want my son to know that I always told him I love him. And that, that really, um, applies to all the people around me, mm. you know? So when I think about death and it's people around me, did I do everything I could to encourage them? Did I do everything I could to reach out to them? Did I, you know, the answer is not always yes. Um, and it reminds me, Hey, I really got to reach out to people that are struggling. I really got to be that guy, be that friend. And then when it comes to my own death, you know, like you said, have I lived up to my potential, but I've overshot the mark in life, man. I've really, uh, I've overshot the mark. And so I'm, I'm in, I'm in the bonus rounds. I've been in the bonus rounds for a number of years. Mm. And so it's not that I've like, you know, made it somewhere, but I've made it a lot further than anybody thought I would trust me. And it's more, what's more important to me is when was the last time I told my mom, I appreciated her. When was the last time I told my wife, my kids, et cetera, et cetera, you know, the people closest to me, how much I love them. That, that means a lot to me because if I pass, I want them to know mm. without the shadow of a doubt um, that I love them. Yeah. It's uh it's hard to like really embody that unless something happens in your life. I think, yeah, you know, cause you, you see it all the time on social, a lot of podcasts, very smart people are saying the same thing. Like tell people that you love them. You love them because the last time could be the last time that's legit, but we don't really realize that until it actually is the very fucking last time. And then we're like, Oh, I should have, repaired that relationship. I should have told them I love them. I should have had that dinner with them. I should have this, yeah. that. And you can't predict the future. I understand that. And so right. I'm not saying that you should, you know, always do it all the time. But there, there's those moments you feel in your gut that you should do something and that you should reach out or you should say this or you should have that conversation or you should plan that, that dinner. Like, do that. There's, there's, a, there's a gut reaction in your body that's always telling you to do that thing. And mm -hmm. you got to act on it most times because it's, it's, yeah. it's important. It's really important. Hey, look, we're not psychics. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? We don't know what's going to happen to you and I later this afternoon. We don't know what's going to happen, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We don't know what's going to happen, but every encounter it's look at, I am in a situation where I have a lot of death around me a lot. And so I have constant reminders, appreciate life. Tell people you love them, pour into people, mentor people, bless people. Be, I, I, I am just, I don't want to call it fortunate. Um, I, I am just positioned to where I have so many reminders around me. Not everybody has that. I get that. But I'll tell you somebody, everybody's got somebody that they can show some appreciation to or pour into, mentor. You know, everybody's in that situation where they have somebody that that's been good to them or they have somebody that they can be good to, you know, just as an appreciation of life. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> um, to give people some context, I guess this is important. You, you work heavily 
what you're referring to, you work heavily in the mental health and the addiction field. Uh, could you give people just a little more perspective about, you know, the businesses you run and the, and the things you do and see day to day? Sure. So real quick, I'm, uh, I've been in recovery consistently 19 years without relapse. Um, March 12th, 2004 was my first day sober in many, many years. And so I've been sober for over 19 years now. Uh, for the past 11, um, I have been working in recovery in one way, shape, or form, whether it's owning sober living homes, um, which now we have more than I, I, I can remember how many. Um, and I also um, am responsible for four substance, three technically, three substance abuse treatment centers and one primary mental health uh, uh, center. And so in those, um, I'm responsible for the day-to-day uh, -day operations. My specific job is to manage the budgeting, manage the marketing, and manage the managers. Those are my specific job, uh, job duties, um, but I've worked my way up uh, from the low man on the totem pole in my first job in treatment all the way up to being an owner and then being an owner or a manager of several. So um, I have one detox residential facility called San Diego Detox. Um, I have an aftercare program, so an intensive outpatient program uh, called Boardwalk Recovery, and that has sober living homes to support it. Uh, that's an 80-bed facility. I'm responsible for managing uh, a, a women's program called Soledad House. That's a similarly sized program for women. Also in San Diego, uh, in Pacific Beach uh, specifically. Um, and then right now, um, we are opening a mental health facility called Pacific Beach Health. Um, and that is for primary mental health uh, individuals or people struggling primarily with mental health issues. Um, and that ranges from, you know, um, clinical depression, schizophrenia, anxiety, eating disorders, et cetera. Um, and that one is opening right now. We're securing housing for that, supportive housing for that right now, literally today. Um, it's licensed already. We've got our space securing housing, and then we're going to start doing all the hiring for that. So that'll be open in weeks. So. Wow. Incredible. Big picture, kind of in a nutshell. Yeah. What I'm responsible yeah. what for. Are you, what, are you, what are you noticing uh, about sort of current current trends in mental health, either either in a good direction or a bad direction. Yeah. I don't know if there is a diagnosis code yet for what I see. We call it failure to launch. Hmm. I don't know what the hell is going on with this generation right now. I have a lot of opinions. Um, They're not backed by any research or, you know, uh, diagnosis codes, but I have some opinions that I see clear across the board with this generation of 
individuals that have the hardest time motivating, the hardest time taking initiative, the hardest time getting after it for themselves. They're individuals that are literally going to be homeless and cannot manage to go get applications, fill out the applications, return the applications, appear for a job interview, then make it to your first shift, much less six months or a year of shifts. Or go online to, uh, you know, uh, uh, Walmart's website, figure out how to get on the app, you know, figure out how to find their application online, fill out their app. They can't, it's just the strangest thing of unmotivated individuals. I mean, in the masses, um, I see that a lot. I mean, that is by far, um, most prominent situation, uh, you know, situation I see with the younger generation, you know, younger folks that I um, am around, whether it be from call it 18, 19, you know, up towards right around 30 individuals from 30 and up. We get it. We get after it. We can, yeah. you know, we know how to, address an envelope we know how to i'm not kidding i, I know people do, they don't know how to address an envelope they don't know how they, they don't know where the stamp goes whereas they, they don't know how to address an envelope much less now look i mean most people don't write checks anymore but i guarantee they don't know how to write a check um but i and i'm literally meaning the simplest of tasks grocery shopping you have $100 a week. You cannot spend it all on Oreo cookies and energy drinks and cigarettes. That you, what? So the simplest of life skills, I, I, I don't know what is going on. I, I'm not kidding. I don't know if the parents are to blame. I don't know if social media is to blame. I don't know. I, I don't know, man. That is by far, hands down, what I see the most. Um, I do see a lot of trauma. I do see a lot of um, sexual trauma, molestation when you know individuals are young. No doubt, no doubt that really jacks up any individual. Um, Another thing that I see a lot of, and this is, you know, this isn't new, um, but I see a lot of divorce in individuals' um, upbringings. That jacks a lot of people up, jack me up, you know, um, that, that if I had to pinpoint something, I would pinpoint that as where, you know, my soul took a turn. So I see a lot of that. Um, uh yeah, that's that's what I see the most of. Hmm. But this 
this internal motivation you see you think is just not there to want to just like go out and 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 get stuff done and be the best version of themselves you think that's that's lacking i i i don't i wouldn't even say the best version of themselves i'm just saying simple life skills to mm. feed yourself mm. to provide for yourself I, i'm not kidding to provide for yourself to live indoors to wash dishes or make your bed or brush your teeth I, don't wear pajamas outside the house <laughs> i'm not kidding i saw a guy come in he came in he was really excited he was going to go look for a job that day and everybody was really fired up what are you going to wear and he looks down and he's like this is it he was wearing pajama pajama bottoms and so just the awareness that you would shower first you'd put on probably the best clothing you own mm -hmm. you know it's probably not going to be much if you're in treatment but do the best you can shave if that's what you do shave brush your teeth look presentable he didn't even know that he didn't mm -hmm. even know that we had to have somebody go back take him home help him with what he owns this works and this works this is what you're gonna wear and send him out appropriately mm -hmm. so so it's not to go out and be the best version of yourself that there that that's that's so high level thinking that's so advanced i'm really i'm really talking about the simplest of life skills is is lacking in this generation it's 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 a trip i see that yeah, the most I, I was reading something about how they are getting their driver's license much later or just not getting it at all i thought that was explain very interesting that. explain yeah. that I, my yeah, kid I've been, would be I'm, one of them. My 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 teenager he turned fifteen and a half. He can get his light his uh, permit. Was he knocking on their door <laughs> at the at the DMV trying to get his permit? No, he's like, eh. I'm like, son. I, I mean, I'm literally going to buy you a car. You can take your girl out in it. Why are you not hounding me to take you to the DMV? To get your permit. I don't get it. Hmm. I do not understand it. Do you think it's a lack of mentors, maybe lack of role models? Uh, you know, kids are, are, especially youth kids are playing sports much less than they did, you know, in my generation and in your generation. Yeah. I think maybe those are a few factors. What do you think? Yeah. Okay. I think that it does start in the home. And that's a topic all in its, in its own whether it's a broken home or, you know, um, a, a f it could be, it could be a number of things. It could be spoiling a kid. Look, mm -hmm. my, my teenager, he's got it good. He's got it good. But in my home, we make it very clear what's not going to fly. You are not going to disrespect us. You are not going to, you know, drink and drive. You are not going to disrespect girls at school. 
you are not, I mean, and this is the expectation. You are going to respect your mom and your dad. You are going to get a job. This is, these are the expectations in this house. This is what we do as a family. Now, in a lot of homes, I don't think that that's happening. I think that kids are just given whatever they, you know, whatever, and they're not like really kind of mentored and forced and the ground rules aren't laid out young. And so they're not really brought up. My kid, my teenager and my oldest, I don't want to discount my oldest, but my, my teenager's 15 and a half. That kid has been grinding since he was 13, grinding, working six days a week, grinding, volunteering for the record, volunteering at the church, like five or six days a week, grinding. And they finally offered him a job when he hit 15 and a half, grinding. And so that's kind of how he, that's what he's seen in his mom and I, but that's really what we've instilled in him. If you want if you want what we have, you got to do what we do. And in mm -hmm. this house, we grind to get what we've got. You know what I mean? And so I think that a lot of that's not happening. And I and so you've got this safety net under kids. You know, I don't have to grind. My parents will catch me if I fall type of thing. I don't have to pay rent. Mommy's going to cover it type of thinking. Um, and then I also have uh, obser observed families where it's not happening at all. There's no one doing any mentoring at all. There's no one, there's no safety net. They're just like wild animals and, you know, just not figuring it out and nobody helping them figure it out. And so in my places, in my centers, we focus heavily on life skills. Mm. That is a major piece of what we do. And our whole program, a majority, I shouldn't say our whole program, a majority of our program is really catered towards that younger generation that is not figuring it out. And so we're there to help them figure it out. And this, the programming is built that way. And then there's another segment of the program that's for the more mature adults that don't need any hold hand, uh, you know, and they don't need their hands held. They can't wait to get back to work, you know, can't wait to get back to the family, things like that for the older guys, you know, uh, they don't need that. But for the younger mm -hmm. cats, um, our program is really built and designed to get them those life skills that they're going to need. So. Very cool. Yeah, I. It makes me think about the education system and how, you know, a lot of those skills would be beneficial to teach young people at an earlier age, you know, because um, I work in sports and we work, we talk a lot about mindset and sports, how to be calm under pressure, how to recover from mistakes, you know, how to handle feedback and criticism, how to use your breath to calm your nerves. All of these skills are translatable to every area of your life. Now, I'm not saying it's going to eliminate uh, mental health conditions. Of course not, right? But it's going to help you handle some of these negative, quote unquote, stressors that pop into your life. You know, you get a bad grade on a test. You have an argument with a friend, right? You just have a lot going on at school. You have three tests that day and you have to get a paper done. Okay, how do I calm myself down? How do I relax? Okay, I get a little bit of social anxiety. Okay, I had to use my breath. 
How do I do all these things? Like navigating these tools that you can teach anyone, anyone, 12, 13 years old, and they have a little bit more bearing when life does start to hit them in the face a little bit inevitably, because it's going to be hard no matter what. But how can we handle the hard a little bit better, I think, is my personal take. Oh, I agree 100%. Sports are critical. Um, I think sports are great. You know, loss and defeat, things not going your way, you not, you're not a starter, you weren't picked first, you lost the game, you got smashed. You're gonna that is you're gonna deal with that your whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, I got bad news for you. That is not gonna stop. Pop Warner football is symbolic of your entire life. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So loss and defeat and you know, not being the best. I'm not the best. I'm not the best at anything, I don't think. You know what I mean? It is what it is. I'm me. Anyway, these kids they lose. I, I can tell you so many stories of guys literally, I'm not kidding, and gals ruining their entire life over a breakup, over somebody not liking them, over uh, a guy picking a different girl, over weird, you know, it's like, move on, move on. That, that's, that never crosses their mind. They literally ruin their entire life. Everything good that they've got going on, they throw away over a loss, over defeat. And so sports are critical. I think sports really build that up in them, you know? Yeah. Beat up, getting beat up, you know, and pressing on. Get beat up, press on. It's not, look at, a girl breaks up with you. It's not the end. It is not the end. You lose a job. It's not the end. You didn't want to work at Taco Bell anyway. It's not the end. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I, I see a lot of that where they, it's just, they're just soft, straight up soft. And, um, you know, we've kind of, in my house, kind of tried to wire the kids a little bit different, huh. different than the norm. Uh, we wired our kids similar to the way that we're wired, where, you know, you're going to press on. You're going to take your licks and press on. You're going to get beat up here and there. I tell my kid all the time. I tell my my boy. I tell him all the time, son, you are going to get your ass kicked someday. Just know it. You are going to get beat up. It's not that big a deal. It is not that big a deal. But just don't think that you are invincible. You know, you're going to take your licks. You're going to shrug it off and you're going to press on. I think sports sports is a big deal like that, you know? You learn yeah. you learn a lot of that in sports, especially wrestling. Bro, mm. You get manhandled. How do you Sometimes. feel after you get dumped on your head, dude? <laughs> you know what I mean? Seriously, yeah, you, you get tied up, you get mm-hmm. tied up and slammed in front of your family? <laughs> and come on, you know what I mean? Yeah. Seriously. But yeah, I mean it's like it's it's like learning that two things can exist at the same time. Like, yeah, Absolutely. this situation sucks. Like, I'm allowed to be sad and angry and maybe embarrassed. Whatever feeling you want that you think is not good, but also at the same time be like, nope, but I'm still gonna I'm still gonna keep showing up. I'm still gonna keep showing up. I'm still gonna keep showing up. Now there's time 100%. in there where you can where you can take a little breather and give yourself some grace and all of that good stuff that's very, very important. 
but you have to ultimately know that you're going to keep showing up. Like those two things can exist at the same time. Like, yeah, it sucks that I just got my ass beat and I'm a little embarrassed and my neck hurts and I can't turn my head when I drive. I have to move my whole body around, but yeah. I'm going to fix and myself are, up. And the kids are joking about how you got dumped on your head. Right. You go back it's to like, school and you're like, anyway, you weren't wrestling. You didn't compete. You were know? you in the arena? That's all that I you asked. Were there. you in the arena? You know, exactly. so and then you keep showing up and then things start to slowly go uphill for you. And so I think I think that's important. But yeah, so I agree. <clears throat> but I want to ask you, uh, where was your where was your life at um, before you got sober 19 years ago? Homeless. Homeless, uh, living in a stolen Jeep Cherokee. Um, on an island. People think I'm kidding when they don't. It was it's a literal island uh, here in San Diego. It's called Fiesta Island. It was originally created as a, a sewage processing plant, and then that sewage processing plant uh, went away, um, and now it's just an island. I lived on that island, parked my stolen Jeep Cherokee behind uh, a little cut of bushes, and that's what my life looked like. I had burned every single aspect of my life to the ground, exhausted every angle, every hustle, every, I literally could not give a bag of dope away for free. There was no one left in my life. Um, even the people that I was doing crimes with for the number of years previous had all gone away. And I was left all alone in a stone Jeep Cherokee on an island built for sewage processing um, and couldn't give a bag of dope away for free. That's what life looked like right before I got sober 19 years ago. Was that rock bottom or was that there was a the moment? End. That was it. That was the end. So what happened was I had been in a, uh, a car accident a little bit before I appeared for court. Um, I did my last uh, shot of speed, drank a 24 ounce can of Budweiser, showed up for court out of my mind. Judge uh, locked me up. And um, when I reappeared for sentencing about a month later, I agreed to seven years in prison. Um, there's more to the story. Um, I agreed to seven years in prison. I had negotiated down from 11 to seven and went out to the courtroom, stood in front of the judge, the district attorney said, Mr. Hawthorne has agreed to seven years. Judge said, is that what you've agreed to? I said, yep. And then he said something that changed my life forever. He said to the district attorney and to the public defender I had, has Mr. Hathorne ever had a shot at recovery? And I looked at my public defender. Why didn't you think of that? And then I looked at the district attorney. I mean, we were all looking, all three of us were looking at each other like, you know. And I said, no, sir. And the judge looked at the, di the district attorney and the public defender, a little bit baffled. All my, all, every, all my cases uh, have always been drug related. He looked at them and he said, why aren't we giving this guy a shot at recovery? Huh. I think we should give this guy a shot at recovery. 
And I was like, fucking A, we should. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, give me a shot at recovery, man. You know? And the judge, man, gave me one shot. He said, if your name crosses another judge's desk, you're going to prison for all seven of these years and then whatever the next judge has got for you. I was like, deal. And they have never seen me again. Hmm. They never saw me again. I, I, I took that opportunity. I'm still running with that opportunity. Hmm. Why, do you, why do you think that worked for you? And why do you think that judge gave you that opportunity? I don't think that that worked for me. Mm. Before I was, I had reconciled in my heart that I was going away for seven years. Okay. I saw that as a blessing. I saw that as an opportunity. I saw prison as an opportunity, as a breather, for, as uh, a breather, okay. as a, as a way for me to get out of the life I was living. I saw prison as a step up from the way I was living. So I was already reconciled with this is my shot. Prison was my shot. So the, the fact that the judge gave me an opportunity at recovery was icing on the cake in my mind. Obviously amazing amazing icing on the cake but i had already seen going to prison as an opportunity to change my life whether i was going to in prison or not i i didn't know but i i did see it is an opportunity you know and i'd reconciled in my heart that i was going away so now i believe in god I believe, I, I believe wholeheartedly in God. And I believe that God knew what I was about to do with the opportunity he gave me through that judge. And whether that judge believed in God or not is irrelevant. God is God. And God worked through that judge, whether he knew it or not. And giving me that opportunity, God knew what I would do with it and what I have done with it is, I mean, I, I think, now look, I can never repay God for all the amazing opportunities and saving my ass a million times. I mean, I've literally had guns in my face pointed at me by real killers and the fact that God has spared me and given me all the opportunities he's given me. Um, I can never pay him back for all that, but I sure try like hell. Hmm. I sure do try. And, um, and I think that, you know, God's God knew what I was going to do with the opportunity. And so when you, when you got into recovery, um, what sort of practices work best for you to, to sort of, get you on that path or keep you on that path or, or these that you still use today? So desperation hmm. and willingness on the, the last show I was on, I, I joked it's, it is a joke, but it's kind of, it's kind of real. I was so willing to do whatever it took to stay out of prison, 
get my lady back in my life. I've been with my wife for 32 years. We were in addiction together. I mean, uh, the whole, you know, disgusting. So I wanted my girl back in my life. I wanted my daughter back in my life. I was willing to do whatever it took. If my first sponsor said, hey, we're going door to door. We're going door to door and we're handing out Alcoholics Anonymous brochures. I was going to be going door to door, handing out Alcoholics Anonymous brochures if that's what was going to keep me sober. Whatever it was going to be, you know, the little badge, the, the name tags. Hi, my name is Tommy Hathaway. I would have done whatever it took. Now, I say that jokingly, but I'm not joking. I would have done what I, I was. I'm, I've always been super willing to do whatever it took to stay sober. Good thing in Alcoholics Anonymous, we don't go door to door. Good thing in Narcotics Anonymous, all the 12 step groups, you don't go door to door. So, um, but look, I, I hit, I hit recovery hard. Um, you know, when my sponsor said jump, I said, how high, you know, I did all the, you know, I did out everything out everything you do in Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous, and I still do today. Desperation and willingness. I am still at 19 years sober, just as desperate and just as willing to stay sober, stay out of prison, keep my amazing wife in my life, raise my children on this side of a prison, you know keep all the amazing things I have in my life. You know, um, I'm just as desperate to keep different things. You know, um, I, let me say this. I'm just as desperate as I was when I was new, but I was desperate to get things and willing to do what it took to get things when I was early in recovery, like get and stay sober, get and keep a job, you know, get back together and stay together with my lady, you know, on and on and on. Now I'm just as desperate and willing to keep all those things in my life. And so I do whatever it takes. I, I you know, and recovery has been really good to me by being mm -hmm. desperate and willing to do whatever it takes. Yeah, I did kind of gravitate towards, um, you know, in 12 step, uh, 12 step groups, they talk about higher power. I, I, I don't, I don't need this broad stroke, um, ex descriptive term. I, I believe that it's God. I, I, I have kind of, um, you know, it just seems kind of obvious to me, man. You look at my track record in my life, something infinitely powerful has intervened in my life. I mean, more times than I'm aware of, let's say that and has continued to point me in the right direction, give me opportunity, wisdom, whatever every situation requires. And so I have gravitated towards a belief in God and I have incorporated those, um, you know, growing in that belief in God, uh, uh, incorporated some practices to foster a spiritual life, you know, um, you know, that's, that's, been a big part of my recovery you know like i talked about earlier the support group i have around me mm. you know i still talk to my sponsor regularly i still go to meetings regularly i sponsor a ton of guys i participate in other people's recovery all that all that 
never stopped. My sponsor talks about um, putting your foot on the gas pedal and not letting up. Mm. My sponsor talks about um, getting used to a pace and maintaining it. Now, everybody's pace looks a little different. Whatever pace you can maintain and have a satisfactory life or better, maintain that pace. If you're not satisfied with, you know, life as you know it, pick up the pace, step on the gas a little bit more. You know what I mean? That's that's what was instilled in me. That's what my mentors put in me. And that's kind of how, how I live today. Hmm. I want to get your take on this phrase that's commonly used in sort of the addiction space. Uh -oh. um, quote unquote, addiction is a choice. What do you think of that? Wow. Wow. Um, I'd say it applies differently depending on where you are in recovery. Okay. If you are two weeks sober, 30 days sober, two months sober, whatever, early in recovery, and the earlier you are in recovery, this applies more. When you're early in recovery and the old life, your addiction is super fresh and it speaks super loudly, um, the choice you don't have a whole hell of a lot of a choice. Anybody that has really, truly been addicted knows you don't have much of a choice. It is extremely difficult, extremely difficult to participate in recovery at a high level when the haunting addiction is just gnawing at you day and night. So early on in recovery, when the old life is calling, when your mind is playing tricks on you and, and, and all that's going on, super hard, super hard. So I'd say that that phrase is shaky. Okay. Mm. Where it is really um, plays a bigger part or more applicable is as I start to recover more and there starts to be, you know, have, um, I have more separation from my old life and, um, I can, I can choose to participate, um, at a higher level and choosing to participate is critical. If I choose to hang out with the chick instead of hang out with my sponsor, if I choose to go to the gym instead of go to the meeting, if I choose to, you know, work 10 or 12 hours in a day instead of participate in my recovery, it's only a matter of time before the thoughts going to cross my mind that I can drink, that I can burn weed, that this, that, and the other thing, I, mm. you know, whatever scenario. And my defense is weaker. And so where it's most critical to participate in recovery is 
as we, you know, have more separation from addiction, you know what I mean? Early on, early on, I would say it's extremely important, but your question about, is it a choice? It, you know, I don't know, man. I, I just don't know. It's really, really, really hard. I never want to forget how hard it is, how hard it is when that addiction is loud in your head. You know, if you've ever been strung out on heroin for any considerable amount of time, you know that, man, it screams and it's almost impossible to um, ignore it, you know? My sponsor always talks about this window of opportunity early on in recovery. And some people mm. can relate to this and it, and it relates to your question. There is a, a window early on in some people's life, uh, recovery. It's this moment of grace. It's a grace period where you have, you get sober and you've got this window of time to really step on the gas and participate in recovery because there's early, early on that thought, the fuck it's, or, you know, the thought that I can pull it off again, or the tricks my, your mind plays on you. They're coming really soon early in recovery. And so my sponsor talks about this moment, this, this moment of clarity early on in recovery, that if you get that, uh, that, that grace period, that that's your time to really step on it. You know what I mean? Not everybody yeah. gets that. Hmm. Interesting. That's very interesting. I have a, I've got one more question for you, Tommy. Go for it. <clears throat> if you were going to put up a billboard, in the middle of San Diego. And I stole this question from Tim Ferriss. So I didn't come up with it. Not original. Okay. So maybe okay. if you listen to his podcast, you know what I'm about to say, but okay. you put up a billboard in the middle of San Diego and a million people are going to see that billboard every single day. What are you going to put on it? Wow. Wow. On the spot like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow. Everything doesn't always work out without hard work. Get busy. Beautiful. I love it. Let's throw it up on a billboard right now. <laughs> you got to get to it. Got to get yeah, to man. it. Laziness and procrastination is a curse. It's, it's awful get to it yeah one one small step is still a step forward 100 percent, 100 percent. yeah and you're capable of doing it whoever's listening watching you're capable of doing it without a doubt without a doubt yeah every small step builds upon the previous step mm -hmm. absolutely and it compounds and it aggregates and it builds over time and then you look back <laughs> 19 years later and here you go one, one one really 
important thing that we, we teach at one of the places and we really try to beat into the guys about those little tiny small steps because they a lot of us have such low self-esteem when we first get sober. Every, t every single small step you take, every single accomplishment, like I described earlier, whether it's just go get 10 applications. Every single time one of our guys goes and gets 10 applications to fill out, they come back glowing with joy. And it bumps their self-esteem just a bit. And then we go, tomorrow, go, go hand in all of those applications. And they come back and they've got another bump of self-esteem. Now, you and I might think, how big of a deal is that? But for that guy, huge. huge. And those small doses of self-esteem build and build and build. And in X amount of time, he's get he gets his first paycheck. Hmm. Beaming, sunshine shooting out of his ass. And we're like, see, man, you could do it. Remember a month ago? where you swore up and down, no one was going to give you a job. And now you're holding a paycheck. And then, and you build on that. Now that you got a paycheck, here's how we budget it. Let's start with, here's how to go grocery shopping. <laughs> here's how to, here's how to stack some chips, man. So you're not paycheck to paycheck every week. Here's how you pay your own cell phone bill. Here's how you save for rent. Here's how you save for your first car. And all of these milestones, I love, oh, it's one of my favorites, is when a guy can tell his parents, usually his mom, mom, I want my cell phone put in my name. I'm willing to yeah. take on my own cell phone. So badass, man. That's mm. what we live for. That's what we do, everything we do for. And then he gets a 30-day chip 30 days sober and he gets 60 90 six months nine months and he gets his one year sober chip and he's been sober a year and he's maintained a job for like the past nine months and he's thinking about his own apartment coming up and he's like all started from that tiny little step just go get 10 applications mm -hmm. and it all started there whatever and i'm just using that example of the applications but it's so applicable to all these different areas of life you know what i mean it's Absolutely. so applicable it's beautiful it's a beautiful story about the you know the capacity of the human spirit to just pick yourself back up dust yourself off and keep moving forward and uh you know become the person that you know you're capable of becoming you know so Sometimes really they're giant cool. steps. Sometimes they're giant steps and sometimes they're small steps. As long as there's steps, man. And they're, and they they're forward and not backward. You know what I mean? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tommy. Thank you for, you know, the person you are, the work you do in this world, the stories you share, the people you help. Um, it doesn't go unnoticed. So thank you. And I really enjoyed this conversation. Aaron, I appreciate being on your, uh, on your show, man. Pleasure meeting you. Talk, talk to you soon. Appreciate it.
Thank you for tuning in to that episode with Tommy Hawthorne. What idea stood out to you the most? What idea resonated with you most deeply that you could implement into your life today? And if you enjoyed that episode, please share with a friend because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review on Spotify or Apple or even on Good Pods. But the absolute best way to support this podcast is through Patreon. Patreon.com slash Aaron Mashbits directly supports me, this podcast, and my mental health nonprofit. You are loved. So please click the link in the show notes, check out the tiers, and see which one might work best for you and your financial situation. But most importantly, most importantly, above all else, please, please, please take good care of yourselves and others. And I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.